from the White Letter Production Studios in Los Angeles, California. I'm Ellie Unger-Sargon, and this is The Cut Podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. If I could ask to come on back down a little further, so we are having this recorded, so we're going to... uh, play a little trick and make sure it looks fuller than it really is. So if you could fill in the empty seats, um, that would be good. Thank you. All right. Well, first let me say that I apologize for all the delays that had happened in the morning. Uh, Thank you. for. We're all here. Thank you very much for attending. Uh, My name is Travis Wisdom, and I am a UNLV alumna, and I will be your conference chair for this morning. A brief note on how this project had started. While I was completing my final internship program for my bachelor's degree in women's studies here at UNLV, after several uh, conferences abroad, I was asked to provide a film screening as a requirement for the the project. And I wanted to do something on the larger scale and offer an academic conference so we would have people who could speak to the, the students as well as to have a lecture with the film screening. So over the period of several months, with the help of NOCIRC, which is the National Organization of Circumcision Information Resource Centers, uh, I've been able to put together this uh, event with a variety of speakers. Now today, each of you will have the opportunity to listen to a variety of people present their work surrounding male circumcision. uh, Our scholars who have traveled abroad for this event, as well as UNLV um, students, will discuss historical underpinnings to explain how male circumcision began and how it became medicalized and later normalized. You'll have the opportunity to hear about its role in public health and the role of the foreskin in male health. Our speakers will analyze how circumcision has become an intricate part of Western culture, and we will discuss how how we have become a cutting culture. You will learn about the concept of genital integrity or genital autonomy, which are synonymous, and we will examine the implications of law and society in relation to body ownership. The final session of the day includes a film screening, which will offer an insight into circumcision and an inquiry about Jewish identity and the intersections with circumcision. Whatever you know or think you may know about circumcision, I assure you, you will learn something today. You will leave this conference with new knowledge and awareness and be better informed and more equipped to address the issue of circumcision within your own communities. You will be challenged and you will be asked to think critically. Now at this time, before I welcome Caroline Camus to offer a few words, uh, let me first address you to the program inside your packets. Uh, Inside the packet is the Spiral Brown uh, program. This offers detailed information about the itinerary as well as people who are here today as um, in addition to our sponsors. I want to first apologize for the variety of embarrassing typos that you are more than likely going to see. So just go ahead and overlook them as you're navigating the contents of the pages. So at this point, again, thank you for attending and I'll turn it over to Caroline Camus to speak. Well, I'm very honored that um, Travis asked me to help um, in the planning and both the content of this conference. Um, I currently run the Campus Advocacy Resource Empowerment 24-hour, uh, 70-week hotline, um, and we are uh, we respond to um, uh, information um, needs or reporting of crimes of sexual violence. 
And um, my position before that was violence prevention coordinator um, and working with our peer education team um, to provide uh, presentations about anti-violence on our campus. Um, so when uh, I saw um, Travis's um, research practice summary last semester and thought, hey, um, we've been fighting, um, you know, violence against women as a certain kind of context and trying to draw men in um, to our peer education group and to, um, you know, our mission. And I thought, um, this is kind of uh, a missing part of what we've been talking about as um, bodily property. Um, and so I began to kind of let that sink in, and then um, luckily he contacted me um, later in the summer um, with a very real opportunity to bring this um, to our campus and our students. Um, it's students like Travis and this kind of research that really are going to um, change the face of our practices, not only medically but personally, um, religiously, and uh, you know, in our, in our education structure that we pass on to our other um, students as we become educators ourselves. Um, so thank you again for um, coming to this very important conference and um, for seeing the necessity of that link um, of bodily property between all genders. Um, so I'm going to introduce our first speaker, um, Marilyn Faye Milos, um, is the co-founder and executive director of NoCIRC, which is the National Organization of Circumcision Information Resource Centers, um, one of our sponsors and um, one of our amazing participants as well. Um, and she's going to give us kind of an overview of circumcision and some information that we need to know. Marilyn, thank you. Thank you, let me see if I can figure out how to, oh, she got it up there, good, thanks. Um, well, thank you for all for coming. Uh, I'm gonna give you an overview of 32 plus years, and let me tell you why I began my work. Um, in 1979, as a nursing student, I witnessed the circumcision for the first time. Um, that my, at, the, at that time, my sons, circumcised sons, were 10, 17, and 20 years old. And before that, I never, realized what circumcision was. So to see a baby strapped, four-point restraint, um, and without an anesthetic, have part of his penis cut off, really the most sensitive part of his body cut off, um, and scream in a way I'd never heard a human scream before was horrifying to me. And um, so that was what prompted me. Oh, as I started to cry, the doctor looked at me and said, there's no medical reason for doing this. And you can imagine I couldn't believe my ears, and I felt like I was going to pass out. It wasn't even happening to me, um, but that was that was the moment that really literally changed the course of my life, and I've been working for 32 and a half years to bring an end to this uh, anachronistic blood ritual that's so brutal to our children. Let's see if I can make this all work here. Okay, the origins of circumcision are lost in antiquity. Um, we know that there is a oral tradition through the Dogon tribe in Western Africa that, that has for generations passed down the story of circumcision. Um, so most researchers agree that circumcision did begin in West Africa. And from there, it went to uh, Egypt. And this is our first written uh, documentation of uh, circumcision. You can see, uh, now there, I should say that there are Egyptian scholars who, dis, who um, really don't agree on or can't, haven't come to a, 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 an agreement about what this, what this means. But you can see the boy here is being held and the boy here is submitting. This might very well indicate uh, uh, what we many uh, scholars uh, talk about, which is that this, uh, the slaves in Egypt were circumcised as identification as slaves. And in um, 
uh, and, the, and the priestly uh, caste was also circumcised apparently for cleanliness. So that, that would make sense. Now we know that the Jews were the captives of the Egyptians. And so uh, they adopted circumcision. We don't know if it was in Egypt or where they had adopted it from, but this is, gives you a little indication, a cartoonist rendition of what might have occurred to, to make circumcision um, uh, happen. And from, from ancient Egypt uh, and the Muslim world, you can see here is a little boy in, remember that Abraham was the father of both Ishmael and Isaac, so he was the father of both tribes, of both the, the Arab tribe, the Muslim tribes and the Jewish tribes. So uh, in, in Turkey, the, so the Muslims do it as well, and this is a little boy in Turkey being circumcised and a little girl in Egypt also being clitoridectomized. This, these kinds of surgeries in Egypt are done often by barbers, and they're done in little, little sh uh, shacks outside of a mosque, and the, the, ba uh, the baby is, uh, or the child is circumcised, whether boy or girl, uh, or clitoridectomized in the name of the, of the uh, person who the mosque was named for. The, the mosque is a bur the burial place of somebody who was significant. And from there to, to the introduction of circumcision into the Western world in English-speaking countries, and that was, happened during the mid-1800s. And why? To prevent masturbation. At the time, they thought masturbation caused disease, and so to cut off the most sensitive part of the body would prevent children from touching themselves down there. Interestingly, it was done to both boys and girls. Um, and up until the 1970s, Blue Shield and Blue Cross in the United States paid for female clitoridectomy. <clears throat> so this is a drawing of somebody who uh, masturbates too much, as you can see. Uh, <laughs> uh, from, yeah, it looks real familiar. Yeah. <laughs> from from Victoria, Victorian England, of course. Uh, if, you, if, this, if this is difficult to believe, I just, this is such an important quote. This comes from The Lancet, which is, a, 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 uh, is still being published today as a prestigious medical journal in, in uh, England. And it says, in cases of masturbation, we must, I believe, break the habit by inducing such a condition of the parts as will cause too much local suffering to allow of the practice being continued. For this purpose, if the prepuce is long, we may circumcise the male patient with present and probably with future advantage. The operation, too, should not be performed under chloroform so that the pain experience may be associated with the habit we wish to eradicate. And when I witnessed the circumcision, I told you in 1979, uh, babies were still not being um, uh, medicated. In, it took until, uh, well, well, I'll talk about that in, in a minute or so. So, th so that the excuses uh, continued, and they were followed by, uh, in the 1900s, the microscope had been developed, the germ theory was put forth. Now, if you had a foreskin, you would get germs under your foreskin. That was the next excuse. But we know now, of course, the bacteria, we are enveloped by bacteria. They're good. They protect us um, until you wash them off and you can get uh, pathogens. But, but they're good. Uh, so <clears throat> uh, it was silliness, of course. And then by the 1910s, it was, it was not a big leap from all oh, those germs uh, under the foreskin to a dirty foreskin. So the, the foreskin now is being pathologized. <clears throat> uh, in the 1930s, the penile cancer scare came around. Now, penile cancer is a disease of elderly men, uh, probably due to smoking or poor hygiene, um, certainly not from the foreskin. 
there a study just came out, did you read this, John, in, in, in um, Brazil, they did a study, it just came out this month, uh, where they, they looked at about a little less than 500 uh, uh, adult men with penile cancer, and they looked their, took their histories. And if, these, if, if a male has had sex with an animal, he's twice as likely to, to get penile cancer. So uh, that's probably be the next excuse for circumcising. <laughs> in case you're worried about your son having uh, sex with an animal. <laughs> and it makes as much sense as the rest of them. In the 1950s, this was interesting. The, the, the scare then was, uh, uh, came out in the w uh, Windner study uh, in the 1950s that said uh, that, that uh, the force can cause cervical cancer. Well, we know today, of course, that the, the cervical cancer is caused by a virus. It's a sexually transmitted disease, not, again, not caused by the foreskin, but never. And this was the first time in history that we were going to cut off a part of one gender to protect the other gender. Can you imagine? So if, if in fact, uh, that, I mean, what, what would happen if, if we said men started saying, well, we better cut the breasts off women because uh, for our health. Women would be, be crying, screaming in the streets about that. Why aren't men screaming about, about this? Uh, and then in the 1960s came the uh, circumcision would prevent sexually transmitted diseases. Well, many of you were probably not born in the 60s, but I lived in the Haight-Ashbury in the 1960s, and I can tell you that's not true. That there, a lot of sexually diseases were passed around uh, during the sexual revolution, and uh, circumcision did not prevent any of them. So in the 1970s, uh, by now, the uh, excuses for circumcision, uh, all the medical excuses, each one was refuted. As each one, the new one came up, it was refuted, uh, one after another after another. So by the 70s, and people were challenging medical practices. For example, uh, routine tonsillectomies, they were challenging radical mastectomies, they were challenging episiotomies for birth, and they were challenging circumcision. The next excuse was, well, you don't want him to look different in the locker room, do you? You don't want him to be look different than his dad or his, or his brother or, or so forth. Um, those excuses were never used when the fathers were intact and the boys were, were, were circumcised. It was only to perpetuate this billion dollar, well at that point it wasn't a billion dollar, today it's a billion dollar year industry, but the idea was to perpetuate, keep it going. <clears throat> And from the 1980 on, it was uh, the urinary tract infection studies were done in the 1980s. They were methodologically flawed. It showed that boys might have a higher incidence of urinary tract infections for the first year of life if they are intact. What do we do with girls if they get UTIs? We give them antibiotics. Why not boys? You don't have to cut off body parts. It's like decapitation for a headache. Ridiculous. <laughs> in the 19, 1990s, and the AIDS and HIV uh, scare came up. Oh, circumcision is going to prevent AIDS. Uh, the next speaker, John Geiser, will be talking about that. And by the 2000s, with this push, as more and more people become educated and say, no, we, want, we don't want to do this anymore, we're going to protect our, our children, then they, they throw all of the things back. The heap gets higher and higher. Uh, again, the next excuse will probably be so your sons won't get, uh, if they're going to make it with, uh, have, have sex with animals, they won't be, the, uh, and so forth. You get the idea. But what about the baby through all of this? Nobody's talked about the baby. We've had all of these excuses to do this to our kids, but nobody's talked about what, what, what is that experience for the child. Uh, in the 1940s, moms were anesthetized, so the babies were too. They had, they had the anesthetic on board. One doctor wrote, and I, didn't, I couldn't find the, the quote, or, or I would have made the slide, um, 
uh, talking about after he gets done sewing up the mother, then he goes across the hallway to sew, to, to, uh, to cut the baby and he's done with the whole business. Uh, he also talked about if the baby's floppy, this is a way to revive the child. Uh, so, <clears throat> oh, he'll wake up all right. By the 1960s with natural childbirth, babies were beginning to scream, and as they should have all along. Um, and then in, in the 1980s, Anand and Hickey documented the pain experienced by babies during circumcision. The first, thing, the first uh, example of that was the screams of the babies. Initially, Fran Porter in Chicago um, uh, also reported, uh, did studies to show uh, where the screams were. If a, if a, if a, for a nurses who've watched circumcision, you could stand outside and you'd know where a, where the doctor was in the process of the circumcision when you hear the baby. The things that would cause more pain, the baby reacts to more violently and more, obviously, he's, he's suffering more. So those, those uh, studies were done, and Anand and Hickey included the, 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 the screams, uh, the scream studies in, in their study, as well as they showed the increased heart rate for the baby, the, the increased blood pressure, um, and most importantly, where the blood, um, the blood cortisol levels rose, which means those are the stress hormones. And if the baby can't run, run away or, or, or turn around and fight, uh, those are all turned inward because they're, they're damaging if you, if you have no outlet for those kinds of hormones within the body. And by the way, it took until 19, um, uh, 19, the 1990 American Academy of Pediatrics uh, in their position statement on circumcision to come out with and say, yes, babies do feel pain and they need to be anesthetized. That had no, uh, nobody had ever said that before. And, and, e and it took, so it was 12 years after a non hickey study for the AAP to come out and say, we need to, to do something about the pain for these babies. <clears throat> so circumcision is a primal wound. It, it disrupts, disrupts the, the maternal-infant bond. Um, it's, and mothers have said to me, the baby wouldn't look at me when they brought him back. Um, some people say, that it, it, uh, for the, ba for the uh, one psychiatrist said, Rima Lebo said, um, circumcision is perceived by the baby as betrayal by the mother. And so that baby, uh, he's angry with his mother, of course. How, how could he not be uh, on some level? And then it, it disrupts breastfeeding and normal sleep patterns. Circumcision is painful and traumatic. Uh, I just notice the color, coloration here. Um, that's a betadine. That's before any any um, surgery. Uh, they need to uh, uh, use an antiseptic ointment on the, the area to kill the bacteria. We, as we said, we're all enveloped in an envelope of bacteria, and that's good, but it's only good if it stays, if the bacteria stay on our bodies, not within them. That's what causes uh, other problems like sepsis and, and, and so forth, and, and internal infections. Uh, but in order to get this, to get this uh, betadine on, the nurse is, does a five-minute scrub. She's scrubbing erectile tissue, and what happens when you scrub erectile tissue is it becomes erect. Now, we know babies have erections in utero, uh, this, uh, and, and which, is a, which is perfectly normal, and they touch themselves in utero, probably it's pleasurable. Uh, this is the baby's first shared sexual experience. And meanwhile, he's strapped four-point restraint. We watch the baby struggle against the restraints, and then when the nurse comes and scrubs, he quiets because there's this, a pleasurable sensation, and he gets an erection. And then the next thing that ha happens is uh, where sex and violence meet for the first time when the doctor comes in and starts the cutting. 
Circumcision connects the penis and the brain with pain of instead of pleasure. And regardless of whether a male remembers it or not, every sexual experience for the rest of his life is on that neuronal background of pain. <coughs> Circum for me, this is, this is the bottom line of all of it. Circumcision undermines it, the first developmental task of establishing trust. And again, that goes back to what Rima Lebo said, that that, that, that baby uh, sees us as betrayal by the mother. How can that male ever trust a woman again? So early complications include hemorrhage, infection, surgical mishap, and death. Approximately, we know at least 117 babies die a year, probably more. Nobody keeps track of how many. And often, it's there, the, the death is blamed on hemorrhage, infection, and so forth, you see. And not on the circumcision, or it, they don't say, oh yes, he, he died of an infection caused by the fact that the doctor created a wound in which the bacteria entered his body. And the later complications include, but are not limited to, physical and psychological scars, how could it not be? Loss of part or all of the penis, curvature of the penis, uh, making it uncomfortable for the male, but also for the female, as you can imagine. When foreskin is taken off of one side of the foreskin than the other, then the, the penis will tend to curve. Uh, tight and painful erections, uh, and, and uh, well, tight painful erections, and often uh, uh, there's bleeding at the scar site. Many men complain of this. Of course, the skin of, of the foreskin is what's there to accommodate uh, the, tumes the tumescence or the erection of the, of the male. Loss of sensitivity, uh, somewhere between 20,000 and 100,000 nerve endings that encircle the opening of the foreskin are cut off and lost. Um, uh, premature ejaculation. Without those nerve endings that encircle the opening of the, the penis and let a man know what his penis is feeling, uh, <clears throat> the circumcised male goes, ooh, ooh, oops, honey, sorry, it's because I'm so sensitive. No, it's not because he's so sensitive. It's because someone cut his sensitivity off and he doesn't know where he is in relationship to the ejaculatory trigger. And finally, um, with the loss of the sensitivity of the foreskin and then the loss of the, of the uh, protective covering of, of, the, of the glands, the head of the penis, um, the head of the penis then becomes dried and hardened and calloused. The callousing becomes 12 to, uh, 12 to 14 cell layers of, of tissue. So the nerve endings in the glands are also no longer experiencing sensitivity and that adds to the, to the sexual uh, uh, erectile dysfunction. Uh, we have a very high rate of sales of Viagra. 45% of the sales of Viagra in the world is, is here in the United States. Uh, it's not surprising. Yeah. Um, kind of along with the curvature and the tight painful erections, I've also heard that they could keep the penis from growing as long as it would again. Is that true? Well, you can't come c cut something off and have more. We don't know. I mean, uh, I think the penis is going to be the penis. You're going to, and there's various parts. But so if you cut off your arm, are you are you not going to get as big as you you know? If you lose an arm or a, or a leg, are you not going to get as big? I I think you're going to get as big as you would have. Um, but you can't cut, cut something off and have more. Circumcision reduces the penis in both size and sensitivity. No man wants that. So if, we, if somebody said 10 out of 10 babies oppose circumcision, shouldn't we? Uh, the outcomes vary. This, this is a skin bridge. You can see uh, here is this is the scar tissue that is formed between the glands. The head of the penis is called the glands. The widest part of the penis is called the corona, the crown. And, um, and then, of course, this is, this is this tissue was 
there were two raw tissues along the, the, the remnant of the foreskin and along the, gla the glands, which has been, um, the foreskin needs to be torn from the glands because at birth the foreskin and the glands are connected by a common membrane called the synechia or the balanoprepucial membrane. And um, so, so when they're, they're separated and, and this becomes raw, that's raw, and the, and the tissues just simply uh, heal together. This causes in, uh, problems because as you can see there's a, a tunnel and a lot of times there, uh, debris will get caught in that tunnel and there'll be infections and so forth. Many times this is lysed by a urologist later in life. Uh, these can uh, be serious complications. This is a hidden or concealed penis. What happens here is either the doctor has removed too much tissue uh, um, of the foreskin and uh, it's so small or it's, it's, there's just not, it's so tight that it pull, it's pulled back into the body or the other thing is that the scarring of the, of the foreskin um, causes, it, it, the scar is not elastic. So it just sort of buries the penis where the penis can't escape or devastating. This is gangrene resulting in the total loss of the penis. Now while this is, is a, a rare condition, two boys in 1985 at a hospital in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, this happened to, it's done with an electrocautery device. Uh, there's a gomco clamp which is a, a steel or metal device that they put on the penis to do the circumcision and in this case the doctors use a electrocautery sort of like this and they, zap, they zapped it, they touched the medical, the metal uh, of, the, of the electrical current to the metal and it fried the penis. And, and that results in this. Yeah, some of these are, are disturbing, but until we really see what circumcision is and, and the, its impact upon humans, you know, while these things may not happen very often, if it's you, it's significant. You know, the, it doesn't matter that no, it doesn't happen to anybody else, it's your penis that's gone. Uh, circumcision denials, denies a male's inherent right to his own body. So what would that body look like? This is a normal infant penis. Uh, uh, the functions of the, uh, there are many functions, of multiple, multiple functions of the foreskin. Um, the first, is we'll talk about the protection, the foreskin covers and protects the head of the penis and the urinary meatus, excuse me, keeps contaminants out. Uh, obviously, just the same as the labia uh, uh, keep out contaminants of, to the vagina, the same, it works the same way. Um, it keeps the urinary tract sterile, secretes prote protective substances for li lysozymes and so forth that uh, are necessary, and keeps the glands soft and moist. The head of the penis and the inner lining of the foreskin are a mucous membrane like the inside of your mouth, and we'll see pictures of that in a minute. Uh, accommodation. The hallmark mechanical feature of the penis is the gliding action of the foreskin, which uh, provides a necessary skin for a full and comfortable erection. We talked earlier about tight and painful erections. Well, the, it, that doesn't happen with the foreskin. Sure. Right. That's right. That's right. So apparently when you do two, they're not quite moist. Right. People don't realize that that's a significant daily injury. 
and in fact, Dr. John Taylor, who did the research, and I'll show you some of what you'll see, you'll see what his research was, um, talked about that he felt that the only reason that circumcision could, could continue is because the foreskin does stretch, I mean, because skin does stretch, and that because men keep having um, erections, at least some of the skin stretches, they might still be tight, but uh, if, they, if it didn't stretch, uh, you'd end up with a penis was be the size of it was when you were a baby. Um, and, th and then it facilitates smooth and gentle movement between mucosal surfaces of two partners following for, uh, for easy penetration and comfortable, lubricated sexual intercourse. <clears throat> it's good for both males and females. So in sensation, one five-year-old boy upon learning what circumcision said, oh, I'm so, so glad you didn't cut that part off, off my body. That's the part that tickles the best. <laughs> Smart little boy. <laughs> Uh, and sexual functions, of course, this is the, the, the highlight um, are the sexual functions uh, for stimulation. I said to him one man, what did he call to tell me that I had saved two of his, I mean, his two sons? I said, well, what did I say that caused you to, to not circumcise your babies? He said, when you said, how would you rub your eyeball without using your eyelid? He said, I got it. <laughs> Uh, lubrication, so males bring their lub own lubrication, the foreskin and the, the inner lining of the foreskin and the glands are both mucous membranes, so they are, are lubricated. Uh, feedback to the brain about what the penis is feeling in relationship to the orgasmic threshold, we've talked about that. Um, without, those, this, without the foreskin, the man doesn't know what, what, what's really what's happening with his penis. It feels good, <coughs> but it, there is no control. Now, 18, there is no, nobody has control. You think about it, it's over, right? But, but with time and, with, and owning those nerve endings, you learn how to modulate the ride to orgasm. And uh, I just, I learned this 32 years after doing this work, I just learned this from Ken McGrath who talked about that the, the glands, the head of the penis is like the eyeball. If you stick your finger in your eyeball, it doesn't feel so good. So it's, it's annoying and you take your finger out, right? If you get an eyelash, it's, it's annoying. You don't know exactly where it is because the, the nerve endings don't tell you that, but you know that there's something annoying in there and you've got to open your eyelid and, and get it out. He said the glands is the same way. And for the, so what the foreskin does is it stimulates there's this um, uh, 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 response to the, to the uh, spinal cord that sends an inhibitory response to the gland. So, so when the, the uh, nerve endings in the foreskin are stimulated during intercourse, uh, and then this inhibitor, then this, this sending these messages back to the glands is to say, okay, cool it for a bit, we're gonna slow you down. All of that action for the glands is, is, doesn't feel like sticking your finger in your eye, it feel, it, because that, those sensations are diminished and, and, and what you get is this, this the feedback from the, the miser's corpuscles in the, in the foreskin and, and not the aggravation or the um, irritation from, from the uh, overly sensitized glands. How perfect, how perfect, what a good design, huh? Somebody did a good job there. Contraction of the bulbocavernosal muscle, which is necessary for ejaculation. So how does circumcision affect the, the man the baby becomes? Well, first, uh, there's learned helplessness. Now, not every man experiences all of these, but these are the sort of the common complaints that I've heard in 32 years and sort of what makes sense as well. Uh, so learned helplessness, when you're strapped like that and you can't get up and run, what, what happens to you as a being? What, what are your chances for fighting back? Um, this, and those stress hormones I mentioned earlier uh, uh, are turned, if you can't run or fight, those stress hormones are turned onto the, the, the child's own body. Uh, 
the child's been victimized and disempowered. There's an inability to function in a crisis. Uh, there's uh, the underlying fear, and so many men have talked about it. I always waited for the other shoe to drop. Uh, a woman by the name of Nawal El Saadoui, uh, an Egyptian uh, physician who's been jailed for her work against female genital mutilation in Egypt, talks about um, when she was six years old being clitoridectomized on the bathroom floor. And then when they took her out of bed, they put their, her, somebody put their hands over her eyes. And so she couldn't see what was happening. She just. Uh, experienced this excruciating pain and uh, then ultimately when they were done uh, they took their hands away and she looked down and saw the pool of blood between her legs and looked up and saw her mother's smiling face and she said she could never trust again throughout her childhood uh, that she always waited for what was going to befall her next how could, how could that not be so and then and defensiveness and hyperreactivity. We can understand that as well, why, why men are often so hyperreactive or so defensive. Uh, one man said to me, if I could, once I got off that board, I never wanted anybody to do anything to me again, and I've been, uh, you know, ready, been, I've been ready the rest of my life for something to happen. <clears throat> so we talked about the Meisner's corpuscles, and this is the Meisner's corpuscles. These are the kinds of nerve endings that are in the tips of your fingers, or if, in a way you can, experience what a miser, if you just take the back of your hand and rub it just gently with your with your fingernails uh, and see what you feel the feeling that you're receiving from that or you rub your cheeks the feelings that you're getting from that are from Pacinian corpuscles they just they let you know uh, they they um, uh, respond to deep pressure and pain on, now if you rub the other side of your hand very lightly the palm of your hand see how it tickles remember the little five-year-old that said that's the part that tickles best these are the miser's corpuscles you, you, a much different sensation so they encircle the opening of our mouths the anus they sort of let you know what's going in your body and out of your body um, but they also um, they give us that kind of feedback. And there, there's no place in the, in the male body that they're more concentrated than in what Dr. John Taylor, a Canadian pathologist, identified um, as, as a ridge band, again, encircling the opening of the foreskin. And here, here's the ridge band. Now, these nerve endings are not in the, in the, in the, in the uh, valleys of the ridges. They're in the in the tips, and there's there are 12 to 14 of them. And here you can see the ridge band. This, by the way, is a frenulum, and all of this is continuous. For the for the intact male, for all for all males, this is the most uh, sensitive part of the body. But when when you've lost the ridge band, this is what it looks like. And you can see, here's where the circumcision occurred. All of this was the inner lining of the foreskin. We talked about this is the glands, the head of the penis. Glands in, in Latin means acorn. Which, so the glands, of the head of the penis is called, and the head of the clitoris are called the, gland, the glands because of, of the shape. Um, but this, and this is the corona, and then here, this is the tissue. This is a pretty tight, tight uh, uh, circumcision. You can see how much skin was lost because from there, it would have gone all the way down and covered this. <coughs> So here it is again, and and you know I want to go back for a second. Notice the the dryness of this tissue, of all all, all of this, how dry that is. Look at this, and so here now this is what uh, a, a normal penis looks like. So you see the 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 va the the, uh, the blush from the, the vascular blush, all the blood that's there. Here's the ridge band, and this is the frenulum. The purpose of the frenulum in the body, and we have several of them, is to 
tether a movable part to a non-movable structure. So you can sleep on your back and not swallow your tongue because you have a little frenulum underneath your tongue or your lips don't flap over your nostrils. Be between your gum and lips, you have a, a little frenulum there. The purpose of the frenulum of the body, is, of, the for, of the penis, is to pull, after the foreskin's been retracted, to pull the foreskin forward again. And here's, here's a, a circumcised man and what would have been his frenulum. Uh, tissues don't, um, you see there, you can see the scar of his frenulum, but the frenulum isn't here and then the penis begins like that. What, all these tissues always, even with bones and muscles, the fibers go in one to the other. So even though all you see here is a, is a scar, that's still gonna be sensitive. It's gonna be sensitive for two reasons. One is because a scar is uniquely sensitive in a, a kind of a funny way, uh, but it is sensitive. But, but also, th there'll be the remnants of whatever's left of the frenulum, and that's all that's left of all of that ridge band is gone, but some of those nerve endings, those Meister's corpuscles, are still in this area. This will be the most sensitive area for the, for the circumcised penis, of the circumcised male. And the results vary. This, this, the photographer who took this photo of a botched circumcision and what, what the man was left with said this man was proud to have his penis, uh, he was a gay man, and proud to have somebody um, taking photos of, of his penis, uh, never mentioning for a moment that there was anything wrong with it. A man spoke at my last international symposium at Berkeley last summer who has been looking at his uh, uh, family practitioner and he's been doing a study of penises of, the, of his male pain, patients for many years now and he said that no man, he's a, men come in with all kinds of scars and so forth and nobody ever talks about the harm that's been done and every man thinks his penis is okay. Who's he gonna compare it with? Particularly not, not uh, heterosexual men. Uh, and I should say that my early teachers in this were gay men because it was during the early 80s that I was beginning to learn about this and they knew here was a nurse who was talking as fast as I do about one thing and they had heard about me and they wanted to give me more information um, but they were the ones who began to because they were gay they'd come out of the closet and now they see one another's penises and they began to talk about the skin bridges the hunks and slices missing and these kinds of things and and they're the ones who began to take issue uh, many men have suffered in silence, shame, humiliation, and solitude, not understanding what happened to them or why someone would do that to them and being too shy or too embarrassed to discuss it with anyone. And we can certainly understand that. Uh, complaints include but are not limited to tight, painful erections. Um, let's see, tearing at the scar side, I've mentioned that, bleeding with erection, uh, curvature of the penis. And this is what, how the normal pe penetration works. So you can see here, as, as the penis begins to penetrate, here's the ridge band, and the penis, the foreskin is everting. It just really slides back and is being kind of pushed back, really, um, and a as, as that ridge band so all of this is the inner lining of the foreskin, and that's what is uh, being stimulated by the vaginal walls. And on the withdrawal, the male does the same thing. So the male is stimulating, the foreskin and glands are stimulating each other here and here. The foreskin's being stimulated by the vaginal walls here, and on the, on the withdrawal, the same thing. In the meantime, the foreskin and the labia act as like piston and rings. So everything's keeping, the, so they sort of form a, uh, seal keeping all of the vaginal juices in and, and, and the juices that the man brings to for the lubrication. Uh, the loss of the protective foreskin leads to desensitization and sexual dysfunction. 
this is written in the Journal of the American Medical Association by C.J. Fowler in 1970. The fundament fundamental biological sexual act becomes, for the circumcised male, simply sat a satisfaction of an urge and not the refined sensory experience that it was meant to be. Uh, <clears throat> Circumcision affects women, too. Can you read it from back there? Can everybody read it? Okay. I just love that. Uh, for the female partner, uh, let's see, the long stroke withdrawal, remember we talked about, uh, well I said, an intact man just needs small strokes. He's stimulating himself during intercourse and, and being stimulated by the, the female. So the, the body stays together. With, for a man who has nothing left but the frenulum, I'm the, uh, yeah, the frenulum, um, what he's trying to do is stimulate whatever he has left there and often takes long strokes and every long stroke, every withdrawal takes his body away from a woman's body so it's this, so the woman is getting ready for the ride and then oops, where'd he go? Oops, where'd he go? You know, so, so there's this tremendous dissatisfaction and detention in, in, in human relationships and nobody knows why until we begin to, to recognize what's caused this uh, we're going to continue with this, and um, let me just go on, let's see. The long stroke withdrawal also removes vaginal secretions, chafing and discomfort follow. With, with aging, circumcised males need harder or, or faster stimulation or both. And remember, as a woman gets older, particularly after menopause, the vaginal tissue becomes uh, uh, thinner and she's not as lubricated either, so this becomes a problem. And in disengagement, chafing and for forceful penetration are not compatible with what a woman needs to reach orgasm. The mechanics of sex must be altered to compensate for alt altered genitalia. Honest discussion is crucial for partners, especially when one has been circumcised. Remember, circumcision is not a nice thing to do to a baby or to the man he becomes. Uh, what we do to children, they will do to society, as Manager said, and then Gandhi said, if we're ever to have real peace, we must begin with the children. <clears throat> Protecting the rights of the child. Parents are responsible for protecting their child until the child is old enough to protect himself. The right of the child to bodily integrity trumps cultural, religious, and parental preferences. Circumcision is not a medical issue. It's a human rights issue. Uh, it's his body, and it's his choice. Thank you. Um. I had heard something about when in the military that they had started doing circumcisions on the men in the military. Some of my uncles had talked about that. All my uncles and grandparents are intact. But um, they had men. mentioned something about that. And it seemed like it, it also kind of caused a surge in the circumcision rates because the military was doing it when they were in the military. Do you know anything about that? Well. Uh, uh, one of the earliest things that I heard about that was uh, Bud Berkeley wrote a book early on in the early 80s, and he talked about on ships, the, the ship's doctors would sit around and play poker, and they would, they would bet for who, who they're going to get to circumcise the next day, and the one that won always got the, the biggest, strongest, most virile guy, and they'd get to cut off part of his penis, um, which is sort of disgusting, isn't it? Um, 
some people have said that it's been was required by the military. I've never heard that it was. In fact, I've heard uh, the opposite that it wasn't. But it just depended on who the uh, often it would just be uh, the drill instructor or somebody like that would send all, because the guys are intact. And it was often in that case was often because circumcision by now in the America the height of the, of it came during uh, probably um, 1940s or so. Uh, really up to the 70s from that point onward. Um, but it was early on, it was the educated who were circumcised. Oh, we're doing something cleaner that's healthier. And um, that's what my, what my doctor had lied to me, why my sons were circumcised. It only takes a minute. It's going to be cleaner. Um, when, in fact, that wasn't the, you know, the, case, that, the case at all. But um, now I've lost my train of thought there, where I was going to go with it. Uh, well, I remember um, someone telling me that they were told at the time it was because when they're in the trenches, it would help prevent infection. We've heard, we've heard about that, yeah. and they were, the, the stories came back from World War One when men would come back from the trenches and saying, "Oh my, well, they were in the trenches for four years, and probably their feet were falling off." There, you know, but the, but what did they remember and complain about? It was their penises, right? So if, if there was a, if any kind of thing. Interestingly, uh, in the Irish Army, somebody from the Irish, or actually the uh, RAF, Royal Air Force from the UK, uh, told me that when he was in the military, in, in boot camp, training camp, they told all the intact guys, squeeze your foreskin and urinate into it and then let it let it go and that that would wash your cleanest your penis and he said he never got a sexual he said in spite of the fact you know he's in the military and lived I guess quite a, a fun life um and said he'd never had a, 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 a sexually transmitted disease until after he was circumcised he came to America and talked about uh the law uh, that he he had a, a slight problem, and a friend of his was a doctor, and he was going to take care of the problem. Uh, ended up, uh, he woke up, and he was circumcised, and realized uh, the horror uh, and the loss. But he said from then on, uh, he'd gotten several sexually transmitted diseases afterwards because he could no longer do that. So I, I think these are myths that we hear, that in this, and again, fear and scare tactics that we, you know, we've been, have been mentioned earlier. Don't, don't be shy. Anybody got questions? We've been talking about penises here. Let's, you must have questions. Oh, okay. I, I hope I'm not going off the deep end with this one. <laughs> but are you aware of any uh, research concerning circumcision and its effects in the male to female transsexual community? Boy, I, I, no. I have no idea. Sorry. I have no idea. The, the effects of circumcision in a transition. Are you talking about the surgery in itself? No, I'm talking, or, I'm talking more about, see, in the transsexual community, this is not really much talked about, and I think it should be. Of course it should be. And I think perhaps because people in the transsexual community don't talk about, we don't hear about, when you mention about gay men, who were talking about the things that right, happened to right, them. Right. And I have no idea how many of the transsexuals might have been circumcised versus those who aren't. Oh, that's Not really the, an interesting really question. Uh, yeah, no idea, no idea. And that's an interesting question because when I first started um, and began to learn a whole lot from, from gay men, more than um, I had four small children and watched Walt Disney, you know, and then suddenly I'm thrown into a whole getting magazines, looking through magazines like Foreskin Quarterly. Um, so I, it was quite an education, I can say. Um, uh, but 
but uh, you know, people were not talking about it, and perhaps you know, it's it's time for transsexuals too. I began asking men, uh, how old were they when they knew that they were gay? And a lot of men said, by the time I was four, I knew I was different. I didn't know they didn't know it was gay, but they knew that they were different. One man said, I knew my father would never approve, but then others. Um, uh, other men said to me, I, I always thought that I would grow up and have, get married and have a family. But when, having been circumcised, when I saw my first foreskin, I, I, that was it. I, I've had a foreskin fetish ever since. And he did, and he died of AIDS uh, when he was about 65 years old. Yeah. So, but, but I don't know about the transsexual community. It'd be, I think that's a really interesting uh, do the study. <laughs> we could use the information. Any other questions? Okay, well, thank you very much. That's our show. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email them to us at cutdocumentary at gmail.com. And if you like what you've heard today, please support us by buying our film at www.cutthefilm.com. 